But Thomas said some words that when I heard them this week, I heard a preacher, a song was sung, and a preacher said afterwards, said these words, and my heart broke. He talked about Thomas and how he talked about Jesus rising from the dead, and the first one to see him was Mary. A woman that had a, a really bad life. First one to see him rise from the dead. And he goes to Jerusalem and he appears to the disciples. They're all gathered in a room. And he just, I had a man a while ago, I handed him my bottle of water and I said, can you put your hand through the bottle? He couldn't. But the Lord just appeared, just walked through the wall. And they saw him and they knew who he was. Thomas wasn't there. And after the Lord had left and Thomas appeared, he said, I won't believe unless I can thrust my hand into his side and put my hand into the prints. He said hand, but actually it was the wrist where they crucified him. And the next time Jesus is there and Thomas appears, the Lord says, Thomas, thrust your hand into my side and touch the scars on my hand. It doesn't say that Thomas did that. But he said something that sent chills to my bones when I heard it again. First time I've ever heard anybody say it in the scriptures. He looked at Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. And I began to weep. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry because you've not been my Lord. You're my God. You're my Savior. But the word Lord means that you surrender to. The word Lord means he's on the throne and not you. And I don't know if that brings anything to your heart or to your or conviction of any type to you, but is there an area in your, your life that you cannot say he's Lord? He wants to be Lord of all of your life. I heard some, someone said this week that uh, this man had gotten saved in church and He'd been a scoundrel all his life, and he got saved. And after he got saved, said, the devil kept talking to him, said, oh, you know you didn't get nothing. That was just emotional. You felt a little, you know, warm, fuzzy or whatever it was, but that, you really didn't get saved. He said about a week after he got saved, he was on top of his house nailing down shingles, and he missed the nail and hit his thumb. He said prior to that salvation, you would have heard him for a half a mile screaming and cussing as loud as he could. But he said, I began to dance around and hoteen the blood gushing and said, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There is a theology today that I want to warn you. I said it last time. It's getting so prominent on TV that once you come to Jesus, and you confess your sins. You just go on and live any kind of life you want. Never repent again. They use the scripture that he forgives all sins, past, present, and future. My Bible teaches me if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, we go back to. You see, we slip every once in a while, not off the throne, but we slip on the throne. It was hard to understand that. We don't slip off the throne. We're not supposed to be there anyway. Jesus is on the throne of my life.
I slipped off the throne, off of the throne. You know what I'm saying? And then I begin to do what I want, what Wayne wants. Did you know Jesus died for our sins? We all know that. That's down, Pat. We have that, right? Did you also know he died for self? You know the biggest enemy we have is self? It's either good or bad or something because it's so quiet. Someone said, well, when I'm eating and eating a good meal, I'm quiet. I just, you know. I hope that's what it is. But Jesus died for self. Self is where sin comes through. Every war that's ever been fought was because of self. Some man wanted more power, more authority, more people, more property, and he sent his country to war for it. Tomorrow we're celebrating the 4th of July. And I don't know about World War I, World War II, Afghanistan and Iraq and the Gulf War. But I know about my war, Vietnam. War is hell. I heard just this morning as I walked in the church, a brother stopped me and said, did you hear about this brother, Vietnam vet, just committed suicide two days ago? I said, no. Did you know there's many Vietnam veterans commit suicide every day? That's all because somebody was greedy. North Vietnam wanted South Vietnam. And then the communists wanted to back the communists. And we, the big brother, wanted to step in and solve their problems. I'd put on a uniform today and pick up an M16 if it was for a war to defend my wife, my country, and my freedom. But I don't believe we should, this is getting political, but I don't believe we should go fight other people's wars. But I'm glad I was there in that war because I was on my throne. I drank. I didn't do drugs, but I drank. I run around. I fought. I thought I was tough with those 20-inch arms. <laughs> I found out some guys with 14-inch arms could whip me. <laughs> <laughs> she asked James one time. She said, I married Wayne. He had a 34-inch waist, 20-inch arms, 50-inch chest. And now he's got this 38-inch waist, these little arms. Is that ground for divorce? And James said, you know better than that. I don't know if she was seriously wanting to get someone with those 20-inch arms again or not. I know she wasn't. <laughs> but I thought I had all the answers to life. I had all the beer I wanted. My daughter's sitting here. She, I'm sure she was seven, eight years old. She probably remembers me coming home drunk. She remembers the nightmares when I came home from Vietnam. Eight-year-old girl and having to put up with a man crying and screaming. But I'm going to tell you someone I met in Vietnam that cured all that. And his name is Jesus Christ, God's Son, the one that was crucified on Calvary's cross for you and me. It was not a 12-step program. It was not how to live better program. It was not going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and I reverence their positions, and, their, and they do. But it, without Jesus Christ, it's all useless. But a medal, I knelt, I've told this before, I knelt on the battlefield. And I laid my rifle down, and I said, Jesus, if you're real like my Baptist mother and my Pentecostal father say you are, 
Makes me a Baptocostal, right? <laughs> if you'll get me home, I'll believe in you with my whole heart and I'll serve you. I gave a card to a lady the other day at Costco and she began to cry. Had a scripture on it. She said, I needed this yesterday and I need it today. Thank you. Why do you give these out? I said, 48 years ago, on the battlefield of Vietnam, I said, Jesus, if you'll get me home, I'll do anything for you. I'll serve you. And I've been, you, how many received a card from me? I've been giving them out for 48 years. I'm talking about Jesus Christ being Lord. And I don't have time. My time's already gone. It's already 12 o'clock. I didn't have a sermon anyway. Now I know why. <laughs> That's okay. Everything that was done here was what our brother spoke and what Christina spoke. That was all from the Lord. But Jesus wants you to remember that he must be on the throne. I have a saying, and people always laugh at it. I, t I have a very good friend that's uh, thinking about marriage. And I said, to both of them, I said, well, what makes marriage good is when you put your spouse second. And I got a kind of funny look, you know. I said, when you love Jesus first, second love is better than first. But if you love spouse first and Jesus second, first love's not much, worth much anyway. But when you put Jesus Christ and him crucified first, and my sermon would have been, if I could take a minute or two just to get a little bit, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I don't come to you. He was the most educated man of his day. He could speak on philosophy. He could speak on science. He could, preach, he could talk on medical uh, and physical problems. He could talk on anything, poetry. And he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, when I get to there, get there, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The crucified Savior that we forget so often is the one that, is the one that saves us. It's not because he was crucified on two beautiful crosses in a church. It's not because we have the right purpose, purpose-driven church or purpose-driven person. It's because we have the right Savior. We had the one that hung between heaven and earth suspended. The Father turned his back on him. He could have called 10,000 angels, and the nails would have been pulled from his hands, from his feet, and he would have went to heaven. Victorious Christ! But he prayed in the garden. And there's a lot of prayers I've prayed, and I've read a lot of prayers in the Bible, but I thank God for this one. Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup, and though it's the way I'm going to die, pass from me. Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he left with great drops of blood streaming down his face from the prayer and, went and was arrested and taken to Calvary. And I told him this morning, and I've got to close, but it said, I heard a preacher say that when the blood of Jesus was falling or dripping down on Golgotha, the hill of the skull, it was beating out the tune of redemption. But I believe every time the blood hit the ground, it was saying freedom. Freedom. Freedom for the captive we talked about, brother. Freedom for the drug addict. Freedom for the alcoholic. 
freedom from the marriage that's bound by all kinds of stuff and it needs to be set free. I believe the blood of Jesus was beating out. Freedom. 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 Paul said in 1 Timothy, he talks about, from verse 12 to 14, he talks about that he was a he was a scoundrel, but he was an injurious man, he said. And that word we don't use much. But what it means, he means that he was a man of, you know. He, did, he hated you. He hated Christians. He wanted to arrest them. He wanted to feed them to lions and put them in the gladiator room and, uh, arena and stake them out into the ocean and let the water come in and, and, and drown them, the child first, the mother and the adult. He, want, he was so mad, so religious. You can be religious and have nothing. The word religion, it really means a search for God. I'm not religious. I found him in 1966 in Southeast Asia in the war-torn land of Vietnam. I don't have religion. I have a Savior who died for me, and he shed his blood for me. And I don't care. I love the sermons that... Pastor James preaches, and I love to hear our pastor preach because he always ends with giving people a chance to meet the Lord. But if all we have is the flowery sermons, we have nothing, nothing. But when you have the cross, Paul ends that up when he's telling what a bad person he was. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. Verse 14, he said, and then his grace. Hallelujah, the cross. He said, and then his grace rose higher than all my sins. That's the Moffat's translation. It's pretty high. To rise higher than my sin, you had to get higher than the Empire State Building. You had to get higher than the shuttle can go. You heard of Denny's having mild high sandwich? I had miles high as a sin. I drank, I run around, I fought. That's why I went to Vietnam. I wasn't just drafted, but the judge said 10 years in prison or two years in the army and a year in Vietnam. So I'll take Vietnam. I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I may have never met the Savior in prison. Who's on throne today? Who's on your throne? When you go to the theater, you see the scenes and you hear the words. Who's on the throne of your heart? When someone slaps you on the face, who's on the throne? If Jesus is on the throne, you'll turn the other cheek. Is that right? That's what he said. And that's not easy, man. You can hit me in the belly. You can do a lot of it, but you don't slap my face. I'm even that way today. I'd have to repent, but I'd probably slap you back. I wouldn't because I love him. He's the next Marine. He'd probably whip me anyway. I think the Army would suffer in the Marines, especially the Airborne. I had someone who... Oh, I've already preached seven minutes over my time. Someone said, I was at the Veterans and... This lady, we got to talking, and her son was in the Airborne, and he was in Iraq. And 
I got to talking to her. She said, well, I have something I want to give you. I said, okay. So she come, goes and looks around, and I don't know where she got it. And she comes back, she's got a cup, and she's holding it out in front of her. And on the front, it had a parachute with two wings. I said, wow, that's nice. Is that for me? That's for, I really like that. Thank you. She said, let me read the back of it to you. So she starts reading. It says, any idiot can jump, drive a, any idiot can fly a plane. It takes a real idiot to, to jump out of one. I think we were tougher than the Marines. Well, the Marines jump out of planes, too. But I want to get back to who's on the throne, and I'm closing. If the musician should come forward. Who's on the cross? Just going to take a minute, if they're, not, if they're here. Anybody? Would you stand? I'm not going to call you forward. Time's gone. But I'm going to ask the question once again. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to think about conviction that I put on you because I, 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 I don't do that. But if the Holy Spirit's convicted you that there's an area of your life that you need to get off of that area and let the Holy Spirit control that, then ask the Lord to forgive him and put him back on that spot. But who's on the throne of your life? Throne of your heart. Is it Jesus? Is it money? Prestige or power? Maybe it's something that's hurtful. Maybe you're lonely and need a companion. And you dwell on that and it keeps you from really spending the time with the Lord. Whatever's on the throne of your life, where Jesus should be, I'm going to pray a prayer that the Lord will help you to take, for you to get off of that part of the throne and for him to mount that throne and become Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, right now, in the name of your Son, the crucified Lord that we serve, who gave his life on Calvary, who shed his blood, who bore the stripes upon his back for our healing, and shed his blood for our salvation, we come to you in his name. And we know you'll answer the prayer. Because, Jesus, you told your disciples one time, henceforth you will ask me nothing. But whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he do, that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And I ask that you glorify yourself, Father, in the Son right now. And everyone here that's thinking of a part of their life they've been holding back. But they're going to give it to you right now and put you on the throne. I pray, Holy Spirit, help them to do that. Bring it to their mind. And help them in their own words to say it to you. Lord, I'm sorry I've been on the throne. In some areas, some areas I've been on the throne. I've been there, God. I, I know the areas I've been on. And I'm sorry. And I ask right now, as I'm praying this prayer for the people, that you'll help me to get off that part of the throne and allow you to take your place there. Would you do that for these precious people? I love them so much. I think I told them earlier, but Linda keeps wanting to move to Oregon. There's nothing to hinder us financially or any other way we could go tomorrow, move. But I love this church, God. I love this church. And I love my pastor. And I love these people. 
And I believe these people love one another with such a love. I've been in churches where you could feel they just didn't love one another. This is such a loving church. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? Amen.